Okay, are you ready to go? Welcome to 96 Greers, a podcast where we watch every feature film with Judy Greer in the cast. I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. Welcome to episode 19, or you could also call it Welcome to Year 2, Episode 1. That's right. We started this podcast in 2022, the first half of December. Yep. We concluded that year uh, with our previous episode. Yeah, yeah. This is our first foray into recording for the second year of this venture. This this white whale that we are sailing towards. Yeah, (laughs) we've both aged. We've both aged since we started the podcast. We we have aged. We're a year older. A year older. A year wiser. Hmm. That's what I was intentionally skipping, but yeah. if you want to believe it... I think so. You do? What, I think so. What have you learned in this last year, Judy Greer related or not? Like, like, like what's, been a, what's been a life lesson for you? I, what I have learned in the past year is, hey man, it's all just a big journey. Let's go. Let's go surf. Okay. okay. I've gotten more mellow, I think, in the past year. That's good. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. That I think I think that is um, an important part of maturing is, is yeah. that you kind of you don't you don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff as someone's magnet on their fridge says. I uh, I doing this podcast for me has been about realizing that you can you can hook your sail up to uh, you, in this case I'm parasailing so I'm hooking okay. my parachute up to a boat that's going in directions I wasn't expecting it to go. And so I thought, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be watching like a bunch of comedy movies and talking about Mm -hmm. how Judy Greer is funny in them. And it turns out this podcast is the two of us like having to suddenly become experts on different weird subgenres and stuff for an episode. Yes. As we talk about because because Judy Greer happened to be in 45 seconds of one of them. Um, (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, doing deep dives into uh, legacy sequels and slasher movies yeah. or whatever it is. C- careers of actors we we know by name but hadn't really considered. Right. Um, so I, I think at a certain point, I realized that we had started, kind of started a bad movie podcast. Not not necessarily uh, intentionally, but, mm-hmm. but it just turns out when you keep saying yes to projects, you're going to be in at least as many bad movies as good ones. And yeah. that's what Judy Greer has done with her career. And then one to 20 years later, we are also saying yes to those projects for yeah. this very podcast. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Th- this is definitely not one of those projects where um, there's one episode devoted to to every minute of screen time of a the judy greer minute yeah (laughs) that'd be a nightmare can you imagine having to do 86 episodes on the key man (laughs) i mean i mean there would be several episodes devoted to koi fish (laughs) Uh, i can i can say that much with confidence so we we would be experts on on um on little decorative ponds probably by the time we wrapped up yeah best ways to uh, call koi fish over to your finger exactly exactly listen to our episode on the key man to learn more about hugo weaving and his zen-like ability to talk to animals (laughs) um as for myself uh you know, I I started flossing this year, and, hey, I, and congratulations! I, it's, a, it's a habit now, yes. and I'm. It's a little embarrassing that it took me this long, frankly. But it, it took me just about as long. It's it's very difficult. It's, yeah, it's it's. it's I got there though. There, it is. 
Flossing is kind of I don't I don't mean to be flippant. Flossing is kind of self harm adjacent. <laughs> Where you, you just kind of hold it in your hand and you go. I know, but, and then you do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know that that's necessarily wisdom, but it's good practical common sense. And, Absolutely. And we need some of that too in this world. But, you know, while we're on the subject of... Um, wisdom? Nuggets of, yeah, of, of wisdom, of, of life lessons, mm-hmm. um, let's uh, clumsily segue into the movie that we are discussing oh, for correct. this episode. Uh, which is... The Duplass Brothers film, Jeff Who Lives at Home, uh, from 2011. Um, now, the Duplass, bro- the Duplass Brothers, a pretty well-known name, I think, I think in, in cinephile circles. Um, so, Patrick, had you seen Jeff Who Lives at Home before? I had not. I, I had not. Me neither. This was my first time. I, I was certainly, like you said, familiar with the Duplass Brothers. Um, we sort of covered Mumblecore on a previous episode uh, for In Memory of My Father. Yes. So I don't necessarily need to recap all of that. You go to the Mumblecore entry in Wikipedia, you'll you'll learn all you need to learn. But certainly the Duplass brothers uh, are some of the biggest names in that little movement uh, as it exists. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um uh, and and I feel t- today we we still do get movies that are in the in the vein of Mumblecore. Yeah. Um but it's not really um, a, a movement that's talked about as something right. of the per- of the current moment. Well, it's sort of okay. So in video games, at a certain point, there were all these different genres, and it was, an RPG was a very specific thing. Right. And now every single game anyone plays has experience points and leveling because video game designers have just figured out like, oh, that actually just makes people's brains feel good. So mm-hmm. in this racing game, we're going to have experience points and leveling um and now nothing's an rpg and it's sort of the same with mumblecore where it's like at the time everything was shot on celluloid you know 2000 uh, uh funny haha's like 2002 right or whatever believe, so this is so. very very early in the age of digital cinema mm-hmm. and consumer grade uh sort of video equipment which I, I don't even remember if funny haha is is film or digital but uh at any rate um, that's widely considered the Andrew Bajowski film as the first uh, Momocore movie. Again, yeah. we, we discussed all this previously. At a certain point, the idea of taking your your like camcorder that you get at Best Buy and making a movie that people see in movie theaters with it was this like very strange and off-kilter and novel idea. Mm-hmm. And now just everyone has phones in their pockets that have like a, a a better resolution than some professional digital uh digitally shot films that were coming out in theaters in the early aughts so yeah you know like you can go back and watch uh jason x for example which was a film with a all you know a digital master and it looks much worse than the average tiktok <laughs> um the lighting is better like they had makeup and hair people and all that shit i don't know have you seen some of those hair and makeup people on tiktok because no, damn no, you know what you're right you're right i can't i can't uh i can't you know un- impeccable impeccable taste um but um now that everyone has an ab- the ability to shoot and edit movies mm. in their uh in their pockets mumblecore is not as a standout now thing it's just it like yeah this is a low yeah. budget movie that's how you, that's how we shot it it's yeah because it's low budget yeah um and so it, it is interesting though talking about mumblecore in terms of this film because the duplass brothers are right. re- well associated with mumblecore is jeff who lives at home mumblecore it's 
there are some really significant elements of Jeff who lives at home that step away from the mumblecore genre. You've got set pieces, for yeah. example. I mean, this is maybe you want to think of it as like the 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 Mi- Michael Bay uh, <laughs> extravaganza of mumblecore because there's a there's a scene where a car gets wrecked and there's and there's a scene where um, people who are drowning get saved and, and it's and it's apt because it's like literally it's a Porsche that gets wrecked and that's the Michael Bay specialty yes. it, it has to be the most expensive possible car getting wrecked at any given moment right um, but that is not something that you would see in in uh the tradition of mumblecore if, right. if it's if it's like oh let's hit, get together our non-actor friends and write a story about our lives and it's a shoestring budget you're probably not going to have that kind mm-hmm. of thing um something that endears me to mumblecore films is when the the themes of the movie remain subtle and something that is sort of subtext between the characters and something that they're struggling with but you never really get that that specific label of like oh this is about the fear of becoming Mm -hmm. a parent it's Mm -hmm. just sort of like oh you just see this couple bickering with each other but and and that's like the 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 elephant in the the room Mm -hmm. um but jeff who lives at home uh definitely uh um, acknowledges and names its elephants and brings them up frequently. Yeah. Uh, and the specific uh, theme of Jeff who lives at home, it, it's even um, introduced by uh, an opening title that has a quote from the main character, uh, which is a choice. Uh, so the quote from Jeff is everyone and everything is interconnected in this universe stay pure of heart and you will see the signs follow the signs and you will uncover your destiny so this is a a more cosmic uh a a more cosmic focus than maybe something like puffy chair or um, funny haha. Right. Um, Puffy Chair, the first Duplass Brothers movie, is very specifically like, let's examine the interpersonal dynamics of two brothers or the interpersonal dynamics of a man and his girlfriend. Right. And it's and what what meaning we we pull out of that comes from the fact that it's recognizable as reality. Yeah. Um, it doesn't it yeah, like you said, it doesn't feel like they're they're trying to give the audience a big broad pitch as to the meaning of what they're seeing. Um, do you want to tell everyone the plot of Jeff who lives at home? I'd be glad to. Okay. Jeff is unemployed and lives with his mother, Sharon. His brother, Pat is employed and lives with his wife, Linda, who is unhappy with their marriage. Sharon is still grieving the loss of their father and has a secret admirer at her office. Pat and Sharon want Jeff to take more responsibility, but Jeff is convinced that he is on the path to discover his destiny. If only he can figure out why the name Kevin keeps showing up. So I wrote up that plot summary and I said to myself, this is a cop out. This isn't going to tell anyone anything, but I don't know how else to summarize this movie. 
<laughs> you could you could summarize it by uh, showing someone day trippers. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of the, the 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 meat of the story here is kind of just a ripoff of the uh, Greg Matola indie uh, comedy The Day Trippers, where uh-huh. a woman discovers a love note written to her husband, um, and she goes to confront her husband, who is ostensibly working in the city at the moment. And she just sort of accidentally brings along her entire family just as a, as a matter of course. And it just becomes this weird family trip to confront uh, her husband uh, who may or may not be cheating on her. Um, and it is just, and then all of the family dynamics get brought up in that. This is a... Is Parker Posey in that? It, she is in it. Amazing. It's really good. That Stanley Tucci's in it. You know, it's... Oh, so this is, this is like... Leave Shriver. It's great. 90s indie royalty. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. This is, this is a quintessential, like, Sundance comedy hit. Awesome. Um, very good. Very rip-offable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the story behind Jeff Who Lives at Home is that this is actually a script that the Duplass brothers sort of wrote together years and years before they made the film. And they thought to themselves, like, you know, we're not actually ready to take on a film this ambitious in terms of, like, its pacing and Mm -hmm. in terms of being a movie with a car chase and things like that. And so they sort of put it in a drawer and they took it out once they had several movies under their belt and notably once they had started working with celebrities. Um, It... It, it definitely seems like a movie that's been in a drawer for a while. <laughs> uh, well, let me let me ask: did you did you like Jeff Who Lives at Home? I was underwhelmed by Jeff Who Lives at Home. Okay, what, because of the Duplass brothers, because of having seen some of their other movies prior to this, and also um, just like the acting work that they that they do. Um, I was expecting a straight up mumblecore movie, and uh, it's. I wasn't expecting the set pieces. I I wasn't expecting the characters to be uh, as over the top as they are. Um, it's a pretty broad comedy. Yeah, it it, it is. Um, which is which is interesting to see. I, I I will and I will say seeing a a broad comedy with budgetary restraints is kind of interesting because I feel I feel like so much of comedy these days is um look at this cameo that we got this famous person to do and and like like whoa John Cena is suddenly in the movie kind of thing yeah um and also just like kind of like like the bigger actionier set pieces um where it, it just kind of it just kind of feels like um, that genre usually gets uh, gets relegated to um, bigger budget studio mm-hmm. features. Um, so it was kind of refreshing to see uh, a, a movie going for that tone with budgetary constraints. I mean, th- that is something that also I I do kind of get interested in, where it's w- when when it's a movie that is that is a low budget indie and it's being really ambitious in terms of in terms of like tone and genre sure um doesn't always work but i i love a swing for the fences um and those are the things that i liked about jeff who lives uh-huh. at home and i pretty much did wasn't on board with um the 
characters. <laughs> <laughs> the, in this character-driven comedy about the emotional and relationship journeys that these characters go on, you really weren't on board with the characters. I, I was not. Um, mo- I mean, you know, uh, Jason Siegel's character, he plays Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jason Siegel's a real cutie pie and I like when he shows up and stuff. Um, he's, he's a, he's a very easy to empathize with, uh, character. Usually. You see, you see affable stoner and you go, yeah. yes, Jason Siegel, a seems like a stoner and B like, you just like him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, seeing, seeing Jason Siegel as an affable stoner, can't complain about that for Susan Sarandon, uh, who plays Sharon. I was most intrigued by, the parallels that I saw between her her character in Jeff Who Lives at Home and her character in Elizabethtown, there's lots of I, I felt oh. like there were a lot of similarities. I guess so. E- even 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 when like the emotional climactic moment in, includes like a moment of joy under um, a sprinkler because a fire alarm went off. That's I, I did not put that together. <laughs> Um, and actually, like one of the things I don't like about uh, Radon Chong's character is that she kind of gives me Kirsten Dunst and Elizabeth Town vibes. <laughs> like I look oh, at really? her, I look at I, so Radon Chong is her coworker who turns out to be her secret admirer at right. the end. And like I look at all the things she does, and I'm like, this is this is you're you're unwell. Like this is not how you woo someone. <laughs> like you have a really big hurdle. You are talking to an ostensibly straight woman and mm-hmm. you want her to love you. Right. What you don't do is and like you're, and your coworkers, so there is the potential of it being like a hostile work environment right. kind of thing. You really have to like So like coming up with this like whole elaborate gaslighting scenario where she like throws a paper airplane with a picture of a flower and then she sends her a message on AIM because they use AIM in their office. Yeah. It's just red Susan Randon's character's uh, AIM profile name is literally just her first and last name, which I think is very fucking it's funny. Her, it's her business AIM. It's her business AIM. That's right. This is not for cybering, which is... <laughs> hey, do, you, do, do the older people in the audience remember when it was like 2010, 2011, and we were doing all of our business interactions over AOL Instant Messenger? <laughs> you remember that commonplace practice? Do you think that Susan Sarandon still had the obligatory Taking Back Sunday quote as her profile? <laughs> Or, yeah, with like a or black it, background and and like bright red text. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or would it would it be like Carol Kane for her? Carol King for her, I should say. Um, but anyway, like so, Radon Chong throws this paper airplane with a flower on it, and she's like, "I got you flowers," and they're like being all uh, she's being she's being all mysterious in the instant messages, mm-hmm. and then during lunch she stops by and she's like. Oh, a secret admirer? Tell me more. And yeah. it's like, you are digging yourself such a big fucking hole. Like, yeah. where do you think it's... There's something about it that is just like, there's a version of someone who would perceive this as romantic, but as soon as it's in a realistic context, which despite this maybe being a broader film than previous Duplass Brothers, it's still a pretty realistic context. Yeah. It comes across as, as like, kind of unhinged. Yeah, I, I think... With the, I did not like the movie, by the way. I did. I did say. I don't know <laughs> sure. if it has come across yet in my dismissive uh, comparison to Day Trippers, a much better movie. But like, this is, I, I thought this movie sucked, <laughs> <laughs> and I really did not like the whole Susan Sarandon subplot. It, it, yeah, it, it. I will say just to to the Day Trippers comparison. I always feel a little um, 
twinge of anxiety when I'm watching a movie and early in this in the movie that I'm watching for the first time it clicks it clicks in my mind like oh this is like insert title of movie that I love because then I feel like oh I'm just going to be comparing them the whole time and that's not fair to the filmmaker yeah but once that once that clicks in your mind it's kind of impossible to ignore at least that's what I find yeah so I don't I don't blame you for um for you know comparing it to a movie that you love and and it's not it's not beat for beat but I feel like true it feels like there is a main plot that the movie's actually interested in Mm -hmm. and that is the story of ed helms discovering that his wife is cheating on him and yeah. trying to spy on her his wife played by judy greer right um and trying to spy on her with the help of his brother who he doesn't like mm-hmm. and that is that is like a whole movie that they are interested in but then there's just like i guess the mom needs to be a character too and it's like the idea that like this is a movie about like signs and how everything is mm-hmm. connected. It's like that subplot couldn't feel less fucking connected thematically or anything yeah. to the rest of what's going on. Yeah, where that's that's Jeff's whole thing is is that he's uh, he's unemployed and he smokes a lot of weed and he's living in his mom's basement and uh, he gets a um, a wrong number call from someone looking for Kevin. So then he just gets it in his head that that's a sign from the universe that he has to look for Kevin. Um, and so then he starts off on his adventure and kind of, um, I, I guess he does cross paths with his brother in a pretty, uh, coincidental kind of way. That's the thing. That's the real thing. And it's like, I don't know the Duplass brothers. I've never hung out with them. But I have seen the puffy chair, and uh-huh. I have seen Baghead. They don't strike me as particularly spiritual people. And when they <laughs> think of that kind of like cosmic metaphysical connectedness and like things having meaning and like meaning rippling out in the universe and having additional meaning, it exclusively pops up in. Wouldn't it be a coincidence if two people were in the same place at the same time without intending to be? And who they do that happen, like who all live in the same city and know each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like and they do that five times and each time it's like, is that serendipity or is that you being a lazy screenwriter? Because it's kind of just like, oh, well that we don't have to solve the problem of how these characters get back together because they're there. Okay, thanks, thanks, cosmic forces, aka lazy screenwriters. It it, it does seem like uh like, like I said earlier, like they wrote this movie and put it on the shelf for however long, uh, but didn't really refine it because there is a fair amount of lazy screenwriting. For instance, um, we want the audience to like Jeff. OK, well, what's something likable that he can do? Oh, he can help a, an old lady get on a bus. OK, well, 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 his his brother, Pat, is kind of an is kind of a jerk and kind of materialistic and, and is taking the people in his life for granted. How can, how can we show that? What if he buys a Porsche, parks it in an accessible spot and get, takes a business lunch at Hooters and it's like there's there's no nuance there these seem just like very uh how do you feel about we talked about jason siegel how do you feel about ed helms in general in general yeah i i because i because we're gonna find out how you feel about him in this movie yeah. but before we get there like what do you think about ed I mean, helms in general? I, mean, I guess i guess when i saw ed Helm, i mean ed helms is on the poster so no surprise when when he's one of the main characters uh, i i find him neutral sure uh you know, I 
I didn't finish the office and and once once his character Andy kind of got moved more and more to the forefront that's kind of when I started losing interest. Yeah. Um I mean for from for many reasons but that was certainly one of them. Um I don't remember a thing about his character from um the hangover. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything about his character and uh I think his character is guys, come on. Probably. I think that's I think that's the Ed Helms character yeah, in the probably. hangover. Probably. Um and I I can't besides this movie, I don't really think of I can't really think of anything else I've seen him in. So you don't necessarily have a knee-jerk negative reaction to him. No, but it's, it's, just, it's just like, oh, it's Ed Helms from the office. Right. Okay. Sure. Uh, and, then, and then when he pops up in this movie, you go, "Oh, it's literally Ed Helms from the office." It's the yeah. same. It's Bernard from the office. It's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. same character, just like dialed up to abusive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. The he he treats um, his wife Linda in particular, but also also Jeff. Um, he he is uh, just just a real a real jerk to to his family. Um, for for seemingly no reason it's just sort of like oh he's a man and he just has this like toxic masculinity sorry ladies kind of it's a it's a it's a it's sort of a one joke comic premise which is what if a guy thought of himself as like the ultimate slick salesman who always sees all the angles and can sort of manipulate all the people around him because he just has that like salesman eye of the tiger vision? Yeah. What if there was a guy who was convinced of that but actually was totally ineffective at that every single step of the way right. and constantly made a fool of himself? Which is like, yeah, that's a that's a comic character. You can, you know, that's yeah. a broad comic thing. But like in this movie, that's all he gets. Right. You you don't and 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 also also there's really no there's no context for why he is that way. I mean I mean you see that he is wearing um, his work attire and that there's like a business logo on his shirt. We don't really even know what, like what he does. It's like he's a mattress salesman, something along yeah, or, those lines, or, or like paint or something yeah like yeah. he is a salesman in a store that would be in a strip mall yes yeah is is definitely the heavy implication there the heavy implication that you get no information about um so it's just sort of like okay well you have this guy who's a real jerk and just just because just because and uh i mean his father's dead because it's an indie movie and there has to be like a dead parent. <laughs> yeah. It, it, indie movie, Disney movie. It's the same playbook. Yeah. It, yeah kind of uh, where it's like, okay, well, well, their, their, their father's passed away. And is that really the reason why? Well, we don't, we're not really going to get into that. I'm not really going to get into all that. It's 2011. So like maybe they're not ready to just like throw the word trauma into everything. Yeah. But, but also like Jeff sort of, uh, it's like, okay, I guess Jeff was a teenager when it happened. So, like, he's a perpetual teenager because his dad died at, like, a vulnerable time or whatever. I guess. And then also, and his brother's an asshole. Yeah. And it turns out you're still an asshole after your dad dies, I guess. So yeah, yeah. It's it's not really much of an origin story. It's it, Across the board, it's extremely underwritten film. Yes. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I mean, you have the Judy Greer character who is uh, Ed Helms' wife, Pat's, Linda's Pat's wife. Uh, she doesn't want to be his wife anymore because he's right. a jerk and she right. wants to wife elsewhere. And yeah. also she wants to buy a house. Like, that's what we know about her. 
come on, what do you do? We can't afford a Porsche. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I like Judy Greer in this, like, in all of her individual scenes. Yeah. Because, like, I think she does a good job. I, there's, like, some specific choices that she makes where they, uh, like, he, he the their first scene together, he's serving her this breakfast, like, this really shitty, but, like, mm-hmm. for him, he's, like, he's trying to schmooze her, so yeah, he's, like, like, serving her this breakfast of... Like, Eggo waffles <laughs> and, and, and Ready Whip, which, yeah. you know, I, I guess it's it's better than what I do, which is, like, grab what I can out of the pantry and run away like a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> Off to work! <laughs> Let's hope this has nutrition. So. <laughs> at, at any rate, she she... At no point during that breakfast does she like go, oh, this is a selfless gesture from my husband. There's like a note of caution in her voice. Yeah. And like when he is talking about like, oh, yeah, I was talking to that guy. And he's like being very cagey about who that guy is. Yeah. Uh, as soon as he, she hears Porsche, she sees the next five steps of his like ultimate plan yeah. of selling yeah. her. And like, yeah. so there's like choices that she makes where you're like, OK, yes, Judy Greer did a good job, you know, playing the you know, comedic potential of this role or whatever. There's a confrontation scene uh, between the two of them where she gives a really heartfelt performance where she's just so frustrated and so done and so like heartbroken that, that her husband continues to be such an asshole to her. And that's that's really the thing where it's just like, Oh, he's abusive. He's like, he's like just constantly gaslighting her and like belittling everything she says and just like, just saying horrible shit to her all the time. Yeah. There's the, the confrontation where Pat, and Jeff find Linda in a hotel with a with a guy and they confront her and she is trying to explain to Pat and she say and she she keeps saying to him I'll answer all your questions just calm down and he's not even trying to calm down uh and he's saying okay I will and then he says okay I'll try to listen to your incoherent babble which is just like like I understand you're you're very upset, but that just seems like a really mean thing to say yeah. to someone. Just really mean spirited. Well, and it's and it's it's a thing where it's just like there is no depth to like. Well, how did they get together? What what was it initially that right. attracted you know that she found attractive? There's no sense of like. Where did it start to go wrong? How long has it felt wrong? Was yeah. it good at one point? What yeah. did it look like when it was good? They, they do say things like, uh, like um, I think, I think at one point she says to him, we, "We were always competing with each other," or or something like that. And there is no sense of of why. It, I mean, it it just seems like maybe you're just tired of his bullshit. That's that's the most that I can right. get out of this dynamic is that you're tired of his bullshit. And, and before we re- re- recorded tonight, we we watched Hump Day. Which yes. is um, Mark Duplass's in. I think he has like a co-writing credit, but he didn't direct. Lynn Shelton directed right. it. Right. And that is also a movie about sort of just like really aggressive, stupid masculinity and and like sort of women being uh, caught in the uh, coll- like as collateral damage in these like just uh, puffed up egos of men. Um, but Lynn Shelton is very interested in Mark Duplass's wife in that movie. Yes. Uh, I forget the name of the actor who plays his wife. Katie Asselton. Yeah, yeah, Katie Asselton. And she does a great job in that movie, and it's because Lynn Shelton really dedicates a lot of time to, like, what is, you know, all of the whatever uh, Arrested Development, uh, you know, don't want to grow up anxiety that Mark Duplass is feeling. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, what does it feel for her? And 
this is not a like the Duplass brothers are just like they're not they're not directors who are particularly interested in the women in their movies. Mm-hmm. They have like an idea of like women have it hard because men are stupid and women are forced to deal with us. So it's difficult, but like the actual internal workings of that whole process in all of their movies, they never quite seem too interested in fleshing that out. I think Cyrus comes close, okay, but Cyrus is less interested in empathizing with Marissa Tomei and understanding why she is the way she is and more interested in uh, sort of staring at her in morbid curiosity. Uh, Not really what you'd want to see in like the one film that's an example of being interested in like a female character's interior life. Right. And so it's just like everything in this movie is underwritten in a very broad way. You were talking about like, oh, it feels like a typical mainstream comedy in some ways, but like what a shoestring budget version of that would be like. Yeah. Um, And then, and specifically, I think the thing you were referring to when you talk about the context of 2011 is like uh, Judd Apatow movies and the sort of universe of uh, movies that uh, Judd Apatow spawned and produced Mm -hmm. these films about sort of men um, who don't want to grow up. And this, this sort of like just ongoing uh, thesis of like, if men can just get over their childish things, then they could become better, you know, uh, better husbands and boyfriends and everything to the women in their lives. And it's difficult for them, but they just need to like take that step and mature and move on. And obviously Jason Siegel, uh, is, is part of that universe and, Mm -hmm. um, has you know he he wrote forgetting sarah marshall which is one of those movies that came out just a few years before this one did well the the protagonists in those movies are immature and somewhat directionless and some kind of have to find their bravery but they're not as they never get as mean as pat does in this movie yeah for sure they're likable is 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 the thing about the, the the people in their movies you want them to get better um, you, you want them to improve their, their place in life. Um, so this is like, I think, I think this is like a really worst of all worlds kind of a scenario <laughs> where they want things to be uncomfortable and sort of nasty because they come from this world of like, let's make it real. Let's, let's, mm. let's not be, let's not do the nice version of conflict. Let's do the actual real nasty version of conflict. And mm-hmm. like, you know, you look at, the puffy chair you look at baghead you look at how petty the people in those movies are and like how they butt heads because of that pettiness Mm -hmm. it's like it's very much like let's really linger in how awful they're being so it goes that dark but also this movie is like ridiculous bullshit where it is just like super broad sweeping it wants to be a movie that is like believes in the interconnectedness of all things yeah. Uh, it doesn't have those convictions and it doesn't really know how to uh, how to uh, it doesn't know how to communicate that stuff. It doesn't. But um, you so you have this like you don't buy anything that's happening because it all feels so forced where it's like this is the fourth consecutive time two characters happen to be in the same spot. And now the movie can continue like the movie stops because characters separate and then random chance move their back together. Movie can continue again. Um, and so like after all of that, you just you don't buy anything like. I was so mad at this ending. 
I don't know. I don't know if you. I don't know how you felt about the ending, uh, where like the big emotional payoff, the climax, where uh, the prestige, where all the, where all of the uh, the performers come together uh, in this in this traffic jam. It made me so fucking mad. Please share your feelings. This is a this is a, a safe space. All right. So so the setup for the scene is uh, Ed Helms has berated his wife in a ho- in a motel room. Um, Jason Siegel has accompanied him. They both are like, well, I guess that's that. I think we really fucked things up this time. They're in a cab, the backseat of a cab, because the Porsche is wrecked. Um, Susan Sarandon says yes to Radon Chong's uh, fire sprinkler kiss, and they go run off, and they decide that they're going to, it takes place in Baton Rouge, they're going to take a day trip out to New Orleans, and to they're going to embrace the exciting strangeness of their new relationship. Yeah. and then I guess also Judy Greer is there. And so they're... She's going home? Yeah, or something. So at a certain point, they're all in a bridge. And there's a traffic jam. And it's just like really, really um, conspicuously pointed out like, gosh, the traffic's just really not moving. Ed Helms and Jason Siegel have a long conversation about like, well, what do you do next? Like, what are, what are this... Like, at this point, Ed Helms is... is willing pat is willing to accept jeff's sort of wisdom and he's like looking to jeff for guidance because he's just so out of ideas <laughs> and really really jeff's guidance is tell your wife you love her right and he's like oh i guess i better tell my wife i love her yeah it's it's this is not the gentleman you want leading you um <laughs> and so they have this long conversation in the back seat of this taxi and they're just like gosh this you know I just, I, I want to be there right now, but this, oh, this traffic jam. And then Ed Helms is like, you know what? I, I can't let it stop me. So he gets out of the car and he goes running. Running where? Is he going to run back home? Or is he know that Judy Greer's in the traffic jam? He's going to run into her? I don't know. At he's, any rate. He's looking, for her, he's looking for her in the cars in the traffic jam, but. Oh, that's right. So he knows intuitively somehow that she's there. But, but before they get in the taxi, um. He he and Jeff are left alone in the the hotel room and, and they're just kind of like having a mope in the in the bathroom. That's right. So, so she has like a 10 minute, 15 minute head at start. Least, <laughs> at least. But she just happens least. to be right and there. And then they have to call the taxi. Like Yeah. Yeah. She stopped off. She got some drive through. She sat the she sat in a Burger King parking lot with her long chicken sandwich and was just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna down this big boy right here and I'm gonna try to think about my next move. Um <laughs> At any I, rate, I guess we do have to trust the universe on this one. You have to trust the universe. Sometimes it just takes a long chicken sandwich to work through your problems. <laughs> I've seen beef. 15 minutes uh, in the backseat of this cab talking about whatever. Ed Helms runs off. Jason Siegel's there another five minutes just being like, boy, this traffic is really something, isn't it? And the taxi driver's like, yeah, it sure is. Um, then he sees a helicopter and he's like, I know what I must do. The, the sight of a helicopter like two miles away, he instantly is like, I know what's going on yeah, here. Yeah, just his spidey sense starts to tingle. So meanwhile, all the other characters, Judy Greer and Ed Helms and Susan Sarandon, they've all sort of happened to run into each other in this traffic jam. Jason Ziegler goes running past him because he has to go and do what? He has to go save the people who went over the bridge because that's why the traffic jam was there in the first place. So to recap, I've, I did all of that long setup to really hammer home that this that whatever incident caused the traffic to slow, it happened like 20 minutes ago. It has been a half hour that these people have been underwater in their car. Jason Siegel, he knows that that's not, it doesn't matter. He's got to go. He dives in. It's this big, 
like, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to do something for once. I'm not just going to like shrug my shoulders. And he dives in and their car is still floating there. He comes up with two little girls. Uh, they, they're two fine. Two cute blonde. Oh my God. Yeah. They, they're literally like just central casting where it's just like, <laughs> give me the whitest, blondest girls yeah. you have. Put them in fucking pigtails and let's go. JC Penny portrait ass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So anyway, they've been under the car. They've been underwater for an hour, but they pop up. <laughs> they're fresh as a daisy because the way that the actual moment is staged is Jason Siegel goes underwater. He pops up and then like within three seconds of them, their heads being above water, they go, our dad's still in there. Our dad's still in there. Yeah. And it's like. And then there's like a fisherman or something who's who's like coming up with his motorboat and, and they swim to the motorboat. They swim to the motorboat. Like, so dad? they're, they're fine. Dad? The fact that their dad's been down there for three days at this point doesn't matter. <laughs> He's just like, she's just like a. Like like uh, like Shelly Winters in Night of the Hunter, <laughs> she's just down there drifting. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's Someone's in black fucking... and white because he's been down there that long. Yeah, that's a thing. He's it's been like... down there since the fifties. All right, someone's <laughs> fucking old timey fishing pole is stuck on that car. So Jason Siegel goes back down. The fact that he dove thirty feet off of a bridge apparently didn't affect his breath at all because this man's got stamina. The, neither does all the weed. Yeah, smoking. yeah, yeah. The man who was like smoking a joint like like two or three hours before before this scene happened. Not to mention every day for the last God knows how many years. Yeah, but still he's outcast. You know, outcast in concert. He's got breath control for days. He can do <laughs> bombs over Baghdad without stopping. Um, so he goes back down. He saves their father, and then he's like, oh, boy, that one really took it out of it. Like, the way he goes down there, it's like, does he just, like, what are you doing down there? Are you tagging them in? you getting them back up? <laughs> anyway, he goes, that really took it out. He, he, he just dives down 80 points. Go that way. Go that yeah, way. Yeah, they didn't know which way was up. the surface is there. They didn't know what the was. the light is. Okay. Right. He, he finds the little girl's skeleton, which used to be their father back in the 50s when <laughs> Eisenhower was president. And he points up, and then the skeleton goes, <laughs> and swims back up. It's, it's utterly insulting and preposterous, this, like, the the way that this like big climactic rescue has been staged mm -hmm. and the timing of it yeah. the timing of it none of it makes any sense jason siegel's finally like oh god i can't go on anymore he sinks under the water ed helms for, again in on a bridge like 50 feet up goes i'll save you brother he jumps off <laughs> now you have to remember ed helms is 95 pounds soaking wet which yeah. he's about to be and <laughs> and jason siegel is roughly the size of chewbacca <laughs> But apparently Ed Helms is able to just like fucking dive into this water and go down into the murky depths and pull his 300 pound brother up. <laughs> and then that's like the big emotional climax. He saves his brother. His brother proves himself. And it's like, again, like you, you can't have it both ways. You can't do the big broad. Here's the moving moment where everyone mm -hmm. feels good because we all have emotional catharsis at the same time yeah. in the most, uh, conflated kind of way or, uh, in the, in the, what's the word I'm looking for in the, in the most like cynically constructed possible way, mm -hmm. everyone's going to feel good now. Mm-hmm. No, but also it's like kind of real and it's like kind of nasty and yeah, dirty. It's like, yeah. it's, this movie is so stupid. It's so <laughs> insulting. It's just like, they, they, it's like they looked at Baghead and they're like, look, middle America, middle America is a bunch of dum-dums. They're not going to go for Baghead. Here you idiots. Here you go. We're going to put the meaning of the movie right in the fucking beginning in a quote. Um, You know, you, you were talking about uh how, 
the 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 Ed Helms story thread made you think of of day trippers. Yeah. Um. The the Jason Siegel story thread made me think of uh, this John Irving novel called A Prayer for Owen Meany. Mm-hmm. Um. And kind of you know I mean I mean comparing a a, a novel to a, a film's kind of apples and oranges, but um I think I think that that contrast speaks to you know what you're saying about um the 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 what the movie's interested in it just is interested in it with no weight and and no um no stakes uh because a prayer for owen meany is about um the the titular character knowing that his destiny is to save a, a group of children from dying and so he kind of goes through his life um making these choices that no one around him really understands like like the narrator who's his lifelong best friend kind of um is just talking about like all the odd choices and odd behavior and at the end of the novel when he saves these children you um you kind of look back and you see that like everything was kind of leading up to this moment and it was like him both preparing to be able to be present in like like physically present in that moment and have the skills to to do what he needed to do but also like emotionally processing like okay I know how I'm gonna die and I know when I'm gonna die and I know the whole circumstances but the difference between the climax of that novel and Jeff who lives at home is that in that novel like Owen Meany dies a horrible painful death so it's it's like not only is he saving the lives of children at the expense of his own, but it's like it's a really gnarly death. And he and, and he goes into it knowing it's going yes, to be a gnarly and, death. And he and he's a also and he is like like a young man. He spent like his like his childhood on just like dealing with this knowledge about his existence, but he does it anyway. And Jeff pukes in a Coast Guard <laughs> man's face. And he's, you know, he's only unconscious for like a minute. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, it's, and and not, it, I'm not saying I want to see a movie where Jason Siegel like dies, but I'm just, I'm just saying like, like. You want to see a movie with integrity. Yeah. 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 There's no, there's no sacrifice here. There, not only, no not only does di- he save those perfect little fucking blonde children yeah. and their father. Then later on, you see a news report that's like, turns out the father was the mayor of the city <laughs> and he's getting the yeah. key to the city. And his first name is Kevin. Oh, <laughs> uh, I didn't even realize his first name is Kevin. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're doing this news report and they're like, you know, and, and this hero who saved the life of councilman Kevin so-and-so and his two daughters. I, I think I was too loudly booing the yeah. TV at that point. I didn't hear that final. I didn't get yeah. the, the connecting thread that actually made it a thing. Yeah, and but it's yeah, but it's it's just like like this is the easiest fucking journey. Like I like I get it. It's a film about a stoner. All you want to do is just like like roll down to the convenience store and and get your ginger ale and come on back home. Mm-hmm. I get it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make for a movie that really that really sticks with you. Like I, I mean, this novel that I'm talking about, I read it in high school, and I'm a million years old now, and I yeah. still remember. Yeah, you're almost oh, like, as old as uh, as that man down there in the yeah in, in yeah. The river I know. I I, I too I too live under a river in Baton Rouge. Um, <laughs> and 
but but yeah yeah just when when it's like there's no there's no hard choice to be made yeah. it's just sort of like oh what if i what if i just 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 followed my intuition for a day what right. would happen oh I, i'd be a hero that that's 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 some straight white man bullshit yeah let me tell you <laughs> Yeah, no, hundred percent, one hundred percent. If I just if I just open myself up to my destiny, oh, I'm a hero. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> it would be handed to me. Yeah, um, and my t- my tiny waif of a brother would save me in yeah. case it it went sideways. <laughs> um, there are parts of this movie I like. I don't. It's the thing about a comedy is when a comedy is funny, all you can really do when speaking critically about it is just sort of recap the jokes. Yeah, back. Be like, it wasn't funny. Uh, and so like the parts of this movie I do like is that like in a very broad comic sense, I think Ed Helms and Jason Siegel are funny together. Yes. I think their bickering is good. I think, I think the, um, I think the inherent ridiculousness of the situation and, uh, Jeff sort of getting roped into Pat's scheme to like eavesdrop on his wife at this like fancy restaurant is extremely funny. There's like a whole sequence where he, he has to get a booth next to her so he can hold up a cell phone that's called ed helms so ed helms can listen in on their conversation but he goes into this like fancy restaurant in basketball shorts and a hoodie yeah and they're like well we're not gonna put you by the window (laughs) (laughs) my man you're going way the fuck in the back you're gone and then he he is so flummoxed by having to talk to like restaurant staff that that is just an obstacle that he wasn't expecting walking into this restaurant i think we've all i think we've all been stoned in a grocery store and we had our script prepared in our heads of like when they ask this you're going to say this and then when they do this you're going to do that and then you're going to walk out with it and everything's going to be fine and then they go how's your day going you go huh (laughs) and so jason siegel having to like bribe this waitress into giving him the booth next to uh judy greer yeah is very funny because he's just because he just pulls out a bunch of cash in his pocket he goes i have 20 (laughs) like just counting it sort of slowly and then and then um I, I love the little detail of when he does get seated in the booth that he wants in the window. He's been made to put on a blazer. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even look up. That's very, yeah, like, that's like very good. Like over his hoodie. That's very it's good. It's really cute. So like there, this isn't a movie that's just like trash from beginning to end, but I feel like it is a very fundamentally baseline, just like cynical movie. Yeah. It feels like. The Duplass brothers said, we kind of have a thing going, but like none of our movies are breaking through. What if we just sort of took that voluntary step towards the mainstream and tried to push through and like maybe we would have a success and we suddenly things would like you look at the Duplass brothers in the past, you know, uh, 15 years. It is the story of two men who have learned how to work Hollywood and have fabulous careers doing it. Like yeah, they yeah. are very successful producers. They're yeah. constantly writing scripts. Yeah, they're, they're constantly acting. They're showrunners. They like, were they were on the Mindy Project. So clearly you don't accidentally end up there. They are two people who are like, let's have a career and yeah. probably thought about their career. And this movie, much more than any other Duplass Brothers movie, feels like a career step. And mm. I don't think it. I don't think it worked out because this is they. After this, they went back to a very low budget comedy, and then after that, they never directed a movie again. No. Um, but uh, so it's like it's one of those things where it's like, I 
think I enjoyed watching this movie more than I enjoyed watching Baghead, which I found like really irritating. I yeah. really hated all the characters in Baghead. I mean, Greta Gerwig yeah. is like, you want to save her. You want to like do one oh, of those cult God. rescues where it's like they run and they like kidnap someone out of a cult and they deprogram them. You want to like get Greta Gerwig and be like, you got to be in a different movie. Look, Andrew Bujowski is shooting bees <laughs> beeswax just over there. Be over here. You belong with Bujowski, not these chuckle fucks. <laughs> Here's an Amtrak ticket to Chicago. You're going to meet a man named Joe Swanberg. <laughs> He's going to get you out of this. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if Greta Gerwig and Joe Swanberg is a match made in heaven either. No. But, um, okay, fair, fair enough. But yeah, I mean, I mean, in the, it's like, what if what if she's hot because she's really naive? Like, like that's her character in Baghead. And, but, and like, in spite of that, you see Greta Gerwig in Baghead and you're like, you are the most captivating person yeah, who has I ever know. been in front of a camera. <laughs> I am madly in love with you. Yeah, she's pretty. She's, well, I mean, not just, not just pretty, but like so disarmingly charming yeah. and like so offbeat. And it's fucking Greta Gerwig. Have you yeah. seen a movie with her in it? You know why <laughs> yeah. she's great. But don't see Baghead. See Mistress America. Right. See fucking Mistress America. Holy shit. See Mistress America. <laughs> um, but at any rate, like Baghead is a movie I respect. Because Baghead is so the thing it is. And you look at it and you go, I don't know how you get here. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you make a movie like this. This is such a strange film. And I kind of respect the people who followed their yeah. their uh, inspiration and got here. I have no respect for Jeff who lives at home. <laughs> when, you, when you made that comment earlier about how this was a script that they wrote early on and then kind of... Uh, circled back around to it when they you know had had the resources to to make it with the with the you know set pieces and such that it needs it made me think of um in an interview that i'd seen with um i believe it was with tamara jenkins who's the director of slums of beverly hills right uh private live um and the savages yes uh and she was saying how um, she gets a lot of praise for having these like really richly realized characters with these like really specific details of like who they are. And, and just like there's this like real intricacy to her movies. And she said, well, yeah, that's because I only get a chance to make one like every seven to eight years. So she just spends all that time fucking working the script and working yeah. the script. And 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 this feels like oh well well the Duplass brothers were a little too busy to do that or something because because this just kind of it, it 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 just feels like like a sense of entitlement like oh this one's good enough they're like our agent really wants us to make another feature I guess in between uh, these uh, script sessions on the league we can uh, dust off yeah. Jeff oh, and that's at right. home and... yeah and it's like oh the office is hot How I Met Your Mother's hot right. let's let's just kind of well, look Jason Siegel he's an improviser right he's like part of that whole Abateau crew he'll fill in the blanks he'll do a good job yeah. and it's like and uh, the office there's a lot of improvisation that that went on in the office like yeah we don't need to fill in the blanks because we have these really talented people who can do it for us you got you guys also do that thing where when an actor's taking a beat to synthesize information you just like zoom in on them <laughs> some of that office magic got ed helms he's not doing anything right now there's a little bit of jim halpert face that no yeah. one looks at the camera in jeff who lives at home there's a little bit of jim halpert face going on in this movie a little bit yeah. underwhelming as the Duplass brothers can be directorially. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that you know we do have these movies though because it does seem to have gotten them in a career where they are able to uh as executive producers um support 
other filmmakers yeah. um with and 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 bring about like um you know you know help other help other movies come to life that um i'm more excited to see yeah I, I, that's, a good, that's a really good point because it's like the duplass brothers can't make tangerine but they can produce tangerine that seems like a good note to wrap up on um to talk about uh in general jeff mm-hmm. who lives at home um and i think it's about time we turn to the last other segment of 2023 wow the two last other segments of 2023 yeah, yeah. getting wistful over here i know so many good times, so much shouting in our kitchen. Do you remember in memory of my father when we mumble cord it? Oh, do I? How, <laughs> how could I forget as much as I'd like to? So for my other segment, I was thinking about how Jeff in this film is this like stoner who has all this like stoner wisdom. And in at the very beginning of the movie, he's sort of interpreted signs as sort of the backbone of his philosophy, which is the universe gives you signs to read, which is not what the movie Signs is even about, but it's the title of the movie. So I guess that works. <laughs> and I was thinking, what if we took movies that Judy Greer was in that we had covered in the past and we reduced them into a sort of salient piece of stoner wisdom? Mm. And this uh, segment I like to call Bubba Kush Socrates. <laughs> I guess we're calling it Bubba Kush Socrates. All Bubba right. Kush Socrates. All that's right. that's that's what you say when someone gives you a little piece of stone or wisdom. You look over, you go Bubba Kush Socrates over here. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start. Okay. <laughs> for real, for real though, what we gotta do? Here's what we need. We need an app because if you think about it. There are billions. There's literally like three, four billion people on the planet. And yeah. a lot of them are like in the way. And a lot of them are like, they only are doing bad things, right? So if we had an app where me and you could like pick out the people who are like, you're not contributing. You're not contributing. You, you know, you're poisoning the rivers, right? Like, you know, like GMOs. Yeah. You, out. Bummer. Okay. And then we, we had a computer because it's an app. And then we use that app, man, and we kill those people, but we kill it in the past so we don't even got to worry about it and our hands are clean. I, t- I promise you, we could solve all these fucking problems like that, man. We got to get an app. That was Aporia. <laughs> uh, as, in, as interpreted by a, a man who hit some Bubba Kush. Um, Reg, why don't you hit me with some stoner wisdom? Okay. Um... Well, for my stoner wisdom, um, because my, my job's been a little crazy lately, the old the old cre- creativity vats are not quite as teeming full as they usually are. Um, I did uh, find some uh, someone else's material to use for my stoner thoughts, uh, so I will give credit where credit is due. Um, this first one is from the Shower Thoughts subreddit, and it was sub- it was submitted to that subreddit by Dirty Mutter ninety two. <laughs> Dirty Mutter ninety two foundational uh, <laughs> foundational philosophical. Uh, oh yeah, it's, it's a classic. You ever think about how? When dogs in movies are being bad dogs, they're actually being good dogs. Whoa. (laughs) And that would be for 
good boy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, Dirty Butter 92. Yeah. That is that is something fun to think about. And, and that is also something that we think about constantly whenever we see a dog in yes, a movie or on a TV true. show. We say, we say, what a good actor. One of our most obnoxious relationship inside jokes is to get very excited whenever an animal is on screen and praise them for being such a good actor. <laughs> Um, I love that. This one's a tincture. It doesn't have a sound effect. There we go. There's the tincture. And then I'm like, fam, 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 family, family. I'm telling you, fam. I'm telling you, fam. What? What's up? I'm like, what I'm like, I'm like sadness is easier because it's surrender. So it's like, what you should really do is make time to dance alone with one hand waving free. Whoa. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you want to be really great, then you got to have the courage to fail big and stick around and like make them wonder why you're smiling. Because that's true greatness to me. That's true greatness to me. Because it's like, because it's like, I, I, you know, when I'm looking at you, I want you to get into the deep, beautiful melancholy of everything that's happened. You know? You know, because I've spent so much time thinking about all the answers to the problem that I forgot what the problem actually was. You know, it's like it's, it's one of these things, you know, it's just one of these things. You, you pick up these things. I never met a Mitch I didn't like. Fun, full of life. Like everyone wants to be part of the Mitch club, you know. Um, but that's me. You know, I'm a man. Men see things in a box. Women see them in a round room, brother. Women see them in a round room, brother. <laughs> So that's that's less Bubba Kush, Socrates, and more OG Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> that that is literally just you. You took quotes, so did I. That's literally just quotes <laughs> from Elizabeth Town. It's it's a little frightening how well they work for um, for this uh, context. <laughs> Cameron Crow. I think we I think we just unlocked Cameron Crow's writing stunt technique. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't be the first, and he's not going to be the last. No, that's true. <laughs> Um, although I think the idea for Rusty probably came to him in a K-hole. <laughs> it was DMT. He's, Rusty yeah. is a machine elf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would explain, that, that explains so much. <laughs> my, my other one, um, is from the stoner philosophy subreddit, uh, from an individual who goes by the name Swaggy Swags or Swaggy Swag S. The last S is capitalized. Okay. Um, anyway. I too am using a tincture and there's no sound effect. There we go. Anyone trying to release dopamine in my brain by simply cl clicking the upvote button? kind of wild that you have the ability to make my brain release dopamine by just pressing down on your little glass rectangle in the right spot. I imagine that as um, one of the lessons that is being taught in What Planet Are You From? Uh, when Gary Shandling is on his home planet learning about uh, how people work. It's just, it's just like, here's how you manipulate people. Yeah. You got to press the glass box in the right spot and yeah, then you release dopamine, their dopamine in their brain. And and then their crotches start buzzing and it's uncomfortable <laughs> instead of funny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what planet are you from? Boy. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not sad to leave all of 2023's <laughs> episodes behind. <laughs> oh, 
That was Bubba Kush Socrates. Thank you so much for playing with me, Reg. Oh, you're you're very welcome. Do you have another segment for us? You know, I do. Against against all odds and expectations, I do. Um, so this is a this is a podcast. This is a film podcast, and it is December, and the last episode we're releasing in 2023. And when you have a film podcast, and it is the last film, the, the last, and it is the last episode that you are releasing in December, you know what that means. You have to give your top 10 list of that year. That's true. People always sum up the year in the last episode of the, uh, the year. And... You know, with, with this podcast, we are focused on Judy Greer, and she mm-hmm. says it right in her Instagram profile that she's uh, she's never been nominated for an Emmy or an Oscar, despite her many years of wonderful work in, in uh, TV and movie. That is me adding that she does not say that about herself, of course. Um, but she she our girls flying under the radar yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. So instead of doing a top ten list. Um, I thought we could celebrate our 2023 movies that are kind of flying under that, that radar. Oh, so okay. Yeah, yeah. What you would consider, um, what, what movies re- you saw re- that were 2023 releases that you would rank, uh, 15 through 11. Okay. And our, in our, uh, ranked list of yeah, uh, releases it, from the year that we've yeah, seen. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so why don't, why don't you, uh, go first and uh i want to know what the movie is just a quick reason why you like it so much and do you think judy greer would like this movie so my first movie my uh number 15 is everything went fine it's a french film by francois ozon um it got a a chicago uh commercial release in uh, 2023 i think it's like technically a 2021 or 2022 but at any rate it is a movie in which sophie marceau plays a woman who has been tasked by her uh father who is her aged father who is whose health is failing to arrange a assisted suicide for him a uh, he doesn't want to live anymore he doesn't he has had a stroke and his condition of life is what he deems not worth living um and she has to go through all of the legal uh, hoops to jump through, as well as the emotional humps, the uh, hoops, the moral hoops, everything, trying to figure out how she can get this man to Switzerland where he can be assisted in his own suicide. Um, the thing that makes the movie really interesting is that he's an asshole and she doesn't like him very much and she doesn't want to do it. And it, she's he's still her father and she loves him. But there's something like really prickly and weird about it. And it's like it's funny, but it's very dark and it's very sad. And it's like exactly the kind of movie that I would want to watch with Judy Greer. Because I think it's the kind of thing Judy Greer would excel in. In in like finding the dark humor in these really absurd situations. I could see her playing the Sophie uh, Marceau role really well. Mm-hmm. So Everything Went Fine, number 15, absolutely would want to watch it with her. My number 14 is Skinnamarink. This is a uh, really fucked up experimental horror film that uh, had me more scared than I have ever been in a movie theater. Um, I don't know if I would want to watch this with Judy Greer. Like, I'm curious about her reaction to all these movies, but like, if the social construct is, I tell her you're watching this with yeah. me, and or, then I have to or, deal. Oh, with- you definitely like. Right, and then I have to deal with the consequences of her after she's seen it. I'm going to go, Judy Greer, don't you worry about Skidamarink. You can skip it. This is not really up your alley. Yeah. Also, 
you're not really the right age for these nostalgic little 90s touches to to mm. hit the same way. I think this is mostly going to either bore you or freak you out too much. So I'm going to tell Judy Greer to skip Skin him a Rink. I'm also telling Judy Greer to skip my number 13. That is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is a beautiful, awesome Really just like gorgeous movie. The animation of that original um, Into the Spider-Verse movie has only gotten crazier and more ambitious. And the places this movie goes is are really cool on a purely visual level. I think she would just be like, it's a super, it's like a boring kind of, I don't, she didn't strike me as someone who watches animated movies or superhero movies mm. or anything like that. She'll be in an Ant-Man. She's an actor. She'll be in an Ant-Man. Sure, sure. I, she doesn't strike me as someone who's going to sit down and watch an animated Spider-Man movie. I'm going to go ahead and tell Judy Greer to skip it. Um, my number 12 is a Tollywood action movie. Now, I, I've been... Uh, Patrick, what's Tollywood? Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert in Indian cinema, but Indian cinema, India is this massive country and it has multiple film industries um, that are sort of based in different languages. So people say Bollywood is a catch-all. Mm-hmm. Not every film that comes out of India is a Bollywood. There's Tollywood, which is films in Tamil. There's Kaliwood. I don't even know what language that is, but a Tollywood movie called Bhagavanth Kasari. And Bhagavanth Kasari is one of the weirdest fucking movies I've ever seen. It is about a grumpy little bear who is also a Nietzschean Superman, and he murders 800 people in the name of feminism. And the movie stops dead for eight minutes so he can d- deliver a, a monologue to a bunch of children about what good touch and bad touch is. It is so bizarre, and I really want, I even, she, even if she hates it, I want to be there next to Judy Greer as she experiences the highs and lows of Bhagavanth Kasari, which is one of the most amusing films I've ever seen. <laughs> and my number 11 is Nobody's Hero, which is directed by Alain Gugliardi, which I'm probably mispronouncing, a French director, uh, probably most famous for Stranger by the Lake. Uh, my mm. favorite film by him is Staying Vertical. Um, oh, sure. This is more in the lane of Staying Vertical, where it's this like sort of dark, absurdist comedy uh, about anxiety where someone... Uh, it it just keeps getting more and more surrealist and strange as someone tries to deal with the uncomfortable social situation of maybe believing that the um, South Asian man who is living in the lobby of his apartment building is linked to a, a group of Muslim terrorists who struck France recently. Um, but he doesn't want to say anything because it's racist. And But like also he's in love with this sex worker who uh, is married and their love story is sort of crossed across this like tense political landscape and everyone just keeps getting in everyone else's shit and it just gets increasingly ridiculous. It's very funny. It's exactly the kind of movie I would want to watch with Judy Greer. I think we'd have a great time. She seems like she would enjoy that kind of um, absurd, uncomfortable humor. Exactly. If I if I was going to place another movie from this year in this lane, it would be something like Eric LaRue. Gotcha. Um, or maybe like May, December. Like these mm-hmm. kinds of movies that just sort of like take this really horrible idea and then just keep pushing them further and further um, until they become absurdist comedy. I think once I get out of my top 10, I, and I haven't seen as many uh, 2023 movies as, as you have. I've seen about 26 feature length films from 2023. Mm-hmm. I've seen about like 76 or something yeah, crazy like yeah. that. I, I went, I went wild this year, but yeah. Um, I, I will say after I pick my top 10, it's a little difficult for me to give a precise ranking but i was able to pick my 11 through 15 um 
these are just in no particular uh, ranking uh, besides that tier. So um, in this tier is Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Um, I don't think that needs any kind of introduction sure. or explanation. Um, when I was trying to think about what uh, what, what I wanted to say about Barbie, um, I just wrote down the best commercial since Bob, We Had a Baby, It's a Boy. I bet one person gets that. I, it took me a bit. I actually remember the long distance. Yeah. Do you want to accept the charges from Bob? We had a baby. It's a boy. Yeah. It's a yeah. good commercial. Yeah. Oh, uh, and so is Barbie. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> uh, True. I, True. I, I laughed my ass off. I got emotional at times, but you know, it's, it's Barbie. Um, I would love to see this movie with, with Judy Greer. It's, it's funny. It's sharp. It's sweet natured. It's got a great cast. We um, both really liked Barbie. Yeah. Neither of us are femme enough to really feel like it's for us. I want to see it with like a really femme lady like Judy Greer. <laughs> yeah. 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 She, she'd probably get a lot more out of it than, than either of us. I, th- I think we're, I think both of us are like, yeah, Alan, that's where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be interesting to hear her take on it. Next on my list, No One Will Save You, a sci-fi movie, um, from director Brian Duffield featuring, uh, uh, Caitlin Deaver from, uh, Booksmart. I really dug this movie. Um, it has a really interesting conceit. It also, it has, uh, I think I think it owes a lot to the Twilight Zone. Of course, it, that's a really difficult thing to do these days because um, you will just be compared to Jordan Peele's movies and, and be found wanting. But um, while it, while it is not up there with Jordan Peele's movies, it's still I think pretty solid. Um, and uh, yeah, I I would like to watch this movie with, with Judy Greer. It's it's really scary at first, but um, it's not like horror the whole way through. Um, so I, even if she doesn't really care to watch horror movies, I would just sort of like hold her hand through the first like 20 minutes until you kind of, um, wrap your mind around the premise and then you can just kind of like watch it as an action movie. And it's, it's really, um, not as, at least I, I didn't find it quite as scary as time goes on. So if, you know, if she's not feeling brave, like it's okay. And, uh, also, yeah, it just has like an interesting, uh, strong female lead. And I think she's into that kind of thing. Next on my list, I have The Pope's Exorcist. Wow, that high. This fucking movie. Yes, I... Okay, so... I will go to bat for The Pope's Exorcist. This is like the hill I will die on in 2023, directed by Julius Avery. To be fair, to be fair, um, I come... As I've mentioned before, uh, I have kind of a, a conservative uh, Catholic uh, upbringing, uh, and I had been visiting my family, and I got back to Chicago, and I dropped my bags, and Patrick said, what do you want to do tonight? And I said, can we watch The Pope's Exorcist? <laughs> and it was um, a, a really good way to restore balance to my psyche. Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's. It's fat silver bear Russell Crowe as this this exorcist with an Italian accent, and the and the full fucking 
robes and he drinks his little espressos and he toodles around Europe on his on his Vespa and he goes toe to toe with some really foul mouthed demons who are plaguing a family who live in like a, a a Spanish Gothic church that they're converting. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's trash, but it's, it's wonderful trash. It's, it's, I, I had so much fun watching the Pope's exorcist and then, uh, the way that it ends, spoiler alert, they open themselves up to no fewer than 199 sequels. Uh, and that was like the, the, the cherry on top of this Sunday of blasphemous filth and I really enjoyed it all right I don't think Judy Greer would though no um you, 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 like, let Judy Greer skip the Pope's yeah, Exorcist yeah, yeah yeah I don't think she's like it but I enjoyed it right <laughs> um and then I ran into a bit of a quandary because the other two films in my 11 my 15 through 11 bracket were Aporia and Eric LaRue. Really? Which, yeah, which we've already talked about at length, so I don't have to explain why I like them. And also, like, as an actor, if Judy Greer doesn't feel comfortable watching her own work, I would not pressure her. So I don't want to say whether or not I would want to, you know, I would ask her to watch the movie just because it would be kind of be a moot point. So I decided I will share the two movies from that I saw as 2023 releases um, that I gave five stars on Letterboxd. Sure. Uh, one was The People's Joker. I saw it at the Chicago International Film Festival. They found a distributor, um, and it's going to be coming out next year, but I think this movie has become a bit of a, 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 a folk legend in, in, the, in, the, in the film nerd uh, circles because of copyright issues, and they had their premiere at TIFF, and it... And, and, and the screenings got blocked by Warner Brothers uh, because this is a, a, a trans woman's uh, memoir of her finding herself, uh, but it is told using uh, Batman and that whole universe as like an extended metaphor and she sees herself as the Joker or slash Harlequin. I, I think, again, like the Pope's Exorcist, um, People's Joker was a movie for me where the context of seeing it uh, was really important. And that is like I saw it in like a packed theater that was like full of like other trans and non-binary people. Um, And just seeing someone like tell their story in that way. And like, you know, I, I I feel like a lot of times when you have uh, trans characters uh, being portrayed respectfully um, which, you know, is still like like an ongoing, um, you know, thing that we're trying to uh, accomplish. Uh, it, it's usually like, you know, oh, I'm actually a woman or like, oh, I'm actually a man. And like as a non-binary person, it's like really difficult for me to like see myself in those stories. But Vera Drake feels like she's saying, oh, I'm actually a, 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 I'm actually the Joker. Like I'm actually like a chaos demon. And like, and like, here's how I found myself. And this is, and like, I'm like, like she really uses like her own unique voice to like tell her story and like uses this palette of like co- copyrighted content. But I mean, she does it like so, so effectively and so chaotically. And she really um, like reveals herself in this really moving way. Um, so I am, 
uh, I'm really excited for the rest of the world to see it. Like, I know that sounds really like shitty and elitist because like I was able to see it. Oh, everyone's going to get to see it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm really, I'm really happy. You're ringing the bell, sound the alarm. Yeah, I'm really happy. Pay attention. More than a meme. Yeah, definitely. Definitely more than a meme. Um, and the other, uh, um, the other piece on Letterbox, I guess, that I gave five stars to was uh, Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special, which was the like full length. I think it was like an hour. Uh, it, it was like like the hour long uh, episode in between seasons three and four of uh, the Harley Quinn show. And like I, uh, I have never really been that into Batman. Um, I liked birds of prey and other than that it's like i i just have no i just know like the characters through osmosis and seeing like the tim burton movies and stuff um but i just came home one day and like you were watching it and i was like what is this and it was just like so fucking funny that i started watching the show and i became completely obsessed with it and um yeah so those were like those were my two uh favorite movies of the year um the year 2023 where i realized that i am post batman (laughs) in terms of uh my my fandom i guess you got you got to watch that mexican batwoman movie i guess you have to watch bat pussy that's the the porno with the batman on the little bouncy ball oh boy um all of the post batman movies yeah yeah all of them we got it we got to start hitting those that's that's gonna be my that's gonna be my other podcast project um so i don't know if judy greer would quite feel the same way but um i think both of these uh both of these movies are very funny and very entertaining and very heartfelt so i think she would appreciate that so i would definitely watch them with her and like maybe have to answer some questions after people's joker but but i i I think you maybe you show her uh ivy and harley quinn and what her response might be is like oh i guess i should have i guess i should have done a voice when they asked me yeah oh my god i i I, I considered myself above above it but maybe i should do a voice next time they ask me i would love to see her on uh on harley quinn because they always knock it out of the park with casting do you do you i i mean you you know you know like batman stuff better than i do do you have a character in mind who you would see her oh she's judy greer and it's a cartoon like she could do any number of things i i i I, it would just be me naming like women in batman it's like she'll be vicky vale i guess i don't know yeah okay fair enough she gets to be bat dog (laughs) oh jesus (laughs) um so uh with with our um top bottom uh all we could we Our could rephrase bottom. that. Whoa! Hmm. I met that reminds me of a very funny stand-up joke from when I was uh-huh. doing open mic. Someone, someone uh, described being uh, humiliated and made to look foolish and ridiculous on national TV for a new reality show called America's Next Top Bottom. It's <laughs> pretty good. Um, so with uh, with our under the radar picks. Um, now um, chiseled into the rock of history, we can uh, move on to our very last uh, 96 Greer segment of 2023. I'm, I'm really laying this whole New Year's thing on thick, but that's how I get this time of year. I get a little weird about time. Um, 
which is uh, Judalization. Yes. Uh, currently, our list is 17 entries long. Eric LaRue, best use of Judy Greer in a movie um, as dictated by us. Uh, and all the way down at the bottom, the previously mentioned in memory of my father, worst use of Judy Greer in a movie. True. Um, but Jeff, who lives at home, is going to be the 18th movie going onto this list. And um, we're going to make sure it gets put in the right place. Um, so where, where do you see uh, where, where do you see this movie uh, landing? So I have an interesting question about this uh-huh. uh, ranking, which is on the bottom of the list, we have In Memory of My Father, The Cat Returns, and Grandma. Right. Now, those are three movies where she... There are plenty of movies where Judy Greer is underutilized. Those are three movies where she's actively miscast. Yes. So, I think Judy Greer does everything she is asked to do perfectly in Jeff Who Lives at Home. Mm-hmm. I think... The uh, look on her face when she realizes that this like shitty frozen waffle breakfast is supposed to butter her up for something ridiculous, like in that opening scene with her is great. I think um, I think the scene later on when she's like really breaking down and crying in the hotel room and just getting honest mm-hmm. with Pat, like I think she's great in that scene as well. Yeah, I think uh, all of I specifically that scene where she's like just sobbing as he's belittling her. Yeah, she's if a bad actor had her role maybe you wouldn't feel quite so horrible about her ending up with pat at the end of the movie Mm. but instead we have judy greer who really makes you feel what that woman is feeling in that moment yeah which makes the ending of the movie where they get together again much more horrible Mm. so i don't know if that is bad cast like miscast or just like poorly directed i don't um it's probably both so the question is, does this go... Are you suggesting that Judy Greer uh, tarnishes Jeff, who lives at home, by being too talented? Something like that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, she was like, oh, a Duplass Brothers movie. I'm going to get to do real instead of broad comedy. Mm-hmm. And that was like, no, no, that was the <laughs> exact got, you, you wrong You got to squirt ketchup on a Porsche, lady. Like, honestly, like, there is a version of this movie where this character is played differently. Mm-hmm. And Pat doesn't seem like quite so like skin crawlingly abusive. He just seems like an asshole. But like mm-hmm. you don't like, like you're not just like Jesus Christ. She's sobbing. Leave her alone. Like yeah. There's a way that this character could have been different. But instead, so like I kind of want to put her at the bottom in the miscast territory. Maybe mm. uh, below Grandma and above The Cat Returns. I, I don't think it's. I don't think this is the like third worst movie we've covered. But like in terms of use of Judy Greer, she kind of makes the movie worse. Because she of her talent, so it, that's that's my that's my tricky thing. If I'm just talking about best performances with Judy Greer, then it goes somewhere towards the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know, um, I I was and I was thinking somewhere towards the middle because I I think um this is a movie where she gives a very good performance. Yeah, and it even though her character doesn't have a lot of complexity. In what we see, um, it does give her the space and the opportunity to be that great. Right. Um, but is that jubilization? Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that um, that her, her her talent uh, doesn't 
fit in well with uh the rest of the cast in that scene like like she's just um she she's just like like a different species almost um for, acting wise uh from um from the other character from the other actors and uh it does it does kind of bring this gravity that is uh uncomfortable to reckon with especially given the re the resolution that the movie presents so um yeah i i think this is a uh a a misjudalization i would want to put it above grandma though just because you know she does have that opportunity and i feel like these other three movies um sort of stifle her okay i can i can do that i can um, live with that let's put it above grandma okay so then that would make Jeff, who lives at home, the new number 15. We've got our 18 titles of Judalizing. That is the worst version of the 12 Days of Christmas. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's, that's why they cut it at 12, because originally there was extra verses where they're oh. like, 18 Days of Judalizing. Yeah, oh man, they started panicking. Um, okay, well, um, so we've got, we've got number 18 on the list. Um, and uh, that's that's about all of our thoughts on Jeff who lives at home. I mean, I'm sure we can think of others who we'll probably wake up at 2 a.m. being like, my God, why do you have a character who's like drawing their own tattoo? That's a weird thing to do. Anyway. God, if you want us to do more on Jeff who lives at home, give us a sign. All right. That's pretty resolute right there. <laughs> that was the silence of God as made famous by Bergman. <laughs> film podcast <laughs> speaking of um we're just gonna keep coming at you with more movie opinions baby <laughs> coming up we've got uh we've got episode 20 and you know what that means we're watching the village by m night Shyamalan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> so come back for that one we got we got some work to do if you thought we did some work to unpack the Duplass brothers, you ain't seen nothing yet. Man, oh man. Um, but this is where the universe led us. That's so true. We're That's just gonna, true. We're just going to roll with it. Signs. 96 Greers is part of the Now Playing Network. Check out the other podcasts at nowplayingnetwork.net. Follow us on Mastodon at 96greers at laserdisc.party. Follow Reg on Letterboxd at Panda Bear Shape. You can follow me on uh, Blue Sky and uh, Instagram at Uptown Song Club. You can email us at 96greers at proton.me. And until next time, I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. And, and say goodbye to these.